nothing will compare to someone whose life has been forever changed by the fact that their father or their mother showed them a 75-minute piece about their life, about all these things that they didn't know about, the humanity of it all. Those types of things, those moments that you get and the impact that you make are, are truly incredible. Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again and enjoy the show. Here we are. We're rolling at the beautiful West Side home of Ben Mankiewicz. I'm not going to give away the address, but uh, if you want to show up at a fake Ben Mankiewicz's house, you can just plug the same address for those of you uh, sleuths playing at home. And maybe you'll be 15 minutes late like I was. But, uh, but we're here, uh, and I'm very happy to be here with Ben, uh, as well as his partner, Andrew Jameson, to talk about their company, The Path Content Group. Uh, Path Content, for those of you who don't know, is a really interesting endeavor that we're obviously going to dive into today, where television quality, broadcast quality interviews done by Ben, who's, of course, the host of Turner Classic Movies as well, uh, is done for people who aren't typically on television. And it's a really interesting model, especially as TV ventures into other areas where it's not just the straight buyer-seller relationship. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna sell an idea, a network is hopefully gonna buy it, we're gonna have a long-standing relationship with one another. Those rules are changing and they're changing pretty rapidly. And I thought it would be very interesting for our listeners to hear about one such type endeavor. So did I botch that introduction, Andrew? Is that accurate? I thought it was great, yeah. solid. Yeah, you can keep that one. Yeah. How about you from the professional over here on my left? I end? think you should start over. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it. It was good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll start our show with the way we start every show, which yeah. is with the light bulb, right? So the light bulb came from, well, a couple of different uh, avenues. So, you know, Ben and I have a mutual friend who uh, we had both gotten to know. And he was uh, turning 80. And he had come to me and I had, you know, bored him with everything that I was doing in television. And I would, I would show him, you know, uh, a sizzle reel. I would show him a cut as, you know, we were, we were sort of getting to know each other. And so he knew I was a producer and he called me one day and said that he was turning 80 and that he was writing a memoir. And this is, and he's someone that has had a, a you know, a really terrific life and his family wanted him to do that. And he said, this memoir is killing me. He said, it's taken me seven months so far, we're not even nearly done. And it, it's got to be over. Okay. I'm 80 years old. I don't have time for this. And he said, and I, he said, I have an idea. He said, it would be great if I could do everything that I was doing in a memoir in an interview. So let's say, for example, Larry King was interviewing me. We could do it in a day. You could produce it. You know, I could pay you for that and we'd be done. What do you think? And I said, boy, Larry King, that sounds great. Um, but, uh, uh, we then started as we began to, to build it, he called me again and he said, I have a better idea, not Larry King. He said, Ben Mankiewicz. And with that, I, I'm going to turn it to Ben cause he's got a great, uh, 
compliment to that story? Yeah, it was. Um, can we say the person? Why, why, why can't we? I think we can share that, right? He was. He was. Have we signed the NDA? Yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah he co-founded the company with us, uh, Lou Wolf, who was the managing partner of the Oakland A's, um, uh, and uh, built, I think, most of or a good part of downtown San Jose. He's a real estate developer here in L.A. Most of his work, or much of his work, has been in San Jose, and he's a big classic movie fan. And at the Telluride Film Festival, I was waiting in line for a movie and there's this guy in front of me, this sort of distinguished white haired gentleman. He's wearing a, one of those satin Oakland A's jackets. And you the, know, bat, we, the Bass Brother era ones. That's right. You're totally right. And I, as I told you, uh, you know, I don't meet a lot of other A's fans. You know, I didn't grow up in the Bay Area, grew up in DC. You see more of them out here in California, obviously, but still, it's still exciting to me to run into another A's fan. And so I, you know, Telluride's a very uh, congenial place. And I tap him on the shoulder and I go, hey, I, I'm also an Ace fan. And he turns around and I'm like, oh, like I'm a serious fan. I know I know the owner when I, when I see him. <laughs> and then, you know, because we're it's America and we defer to money instantly. I'm like, Mr. Wolf. You know, <laughs> uh, nice. Nice to meet you, Lou Wolf. And uh, and he's a big TCM fan. So he, he knew who I was. And we just struck up a friendship right there. We talk, talking baseball, talking movies. We saw a bunch of movies together, had a couple of meals together. I met his daughter, Carrie. Um, and, uh, and you know, we, we clicked. I mean, it was a wonderful experience for me to, to get some insight into the behind the scenes working of my favorite sports team by far. As you can see, sitting here, there's a bunch of old 7-Eleven cups of uh, – uh, Mitchell Page and and well he's his framed the fr- framed copy of the year that he was uh, on the cover of the Sporting News is in our living room I'm not sure how my wife feels about that um, <laughs> uh, so uh, we struck up a friendship and and that led to to him calling Andrew and saying uh, I, I I would not ever say that I'm better than Larry King but saying I got someone better than Larry King for this uh, uh, which is you know an honor to to be in the same breath as Larry King when talking about interviews. Well, I can tell you exactly how your wife feels about that poster, uh, based on how I think my wife would feel about it, and based on how the rest of your, you know, office is designed, and most things have, uh, seem like they've migrated up here. Uh, yeah, although she she's she likes that that like there's a bunch of art and that then that there's a framed sporting news from 1977. I think she does. Uh, enjoy sort of sharing the, the the mix down there. Although it has it has moved to a less prominent position. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you also had one thing that Larry King doesn't have, which is you're a fan of the Oakland A's, not the Brooklyn Dodgers. That's right. That's, That's true. Right. Yeah. That's right, a great right. point. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that sort of led uh, me to strike up a conversation with uh, Brian uh, Strat, who had worked with me on a project for TBS, a uh, really terrific producer. And sort of explain what we were trying to do. And, you know, um, Lou wanted it to be broadcast quality. And I said, okay, well, if we're going to do broadcast quality, let's get the broadcast quality team. So we enlisted Brian and his team to, uh, you know, uh, work on what this would feel like and look like and, and what the process should be to, to deliver the best product possible for Lou. We had a, a set built by people that, that we've used in the past. And uh, we sat down and, and, and in the course of a day, after probably two and a half weeks of prep uh, with Lou, we, we, we did the interview. And um, I remember very, very clearly after he was done, he had this cathartic sort of moment where he kind of looked at me and looked at Ben and said, 
I'm not the only guy you should be doing this with. There should be, there should be more people. And, and I remember driving home that day and saying, and thinking about my own experience, you know, thinking about relatives that had passed away, you know, stories that were missed, that weren't preserved, and how I regretted not having those, you know. Um, and thinking about my own kids and, and sort of, you know, taking 10 minutes of video of them every day for every, every month for 14 years because I wanted to preserve and, and encapsulate all of that. And I just realized that it's a sort of a human instinct that we have to want to remember those things and preserve those things. And I think, you know, Ben, I'm sure had a similar experience thinking about his family and, and, and his father. Yeah, my, my dad was a fairly well-known guy inside of D.C. politics and media. He was, uh, you know, first Latin American director of the Peace Corps. Then he worked for Bobby Kennedy in the Senate. And it was his press secretary in the presidential campaign in 1968, ran co-ran George McGovern's campaign in 72 with Gary Hart. So real conservative. Real conservative, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he was president of National Public Radio for, for six years um, uh, before he finally started making a little bit of money at age 60 when he went into PR. Um, and, and so he'd been interviewed a lot. He's a great interview. He's the smartest person I've ever met. He's also, I, I should point out, like many of the people who met him through his work life would also say he's the smartest. I don't, you don't just have to be his son to sort of recognize the expansiveness of my dad's thought process. And he was also a great father. Um, and uh, so, but all those interviews were about things, right? His take on issues, his take on candidates, his take on trends. And he had always interesting things to say. Um, but there was no moment of him telling those great stories. He Thankfully, before he died, he died five years ago, but he, uh, at 90, um, he did almost finish his memoir. It was 95% done. Um, and it got published uh, posthumously, and it's quite good, but I, I the, my, the desire that I had to wish that we had him telling those stories, because he was a great, deliberate storyteller. He didn't rush through anything. Um, and I just wish we had that, even though, and he was a known figure. I, I have access to a lot of interviews that, that he did, but I still wish that that had been preserved. And I would love to have preserved it with myself, although I recognize that it probably would have been better to have somebody else do it just because he would have self-edited inevitably a little bit, even if he was not aware of it uh, uh, in front of his son. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But so, but what I'm getting from this is that you did this first one as a one-off. Mm-hmm. You built a set. You all that money. There was no thought of wow, this could really be a business until afterwards. Not at all. I mean, I I sort of looked at it. I mean, because look, you know, Ben's a, a television personality. Yeah, and, yeah. and I <laughs> I produce television, and so you know, we sort of looked at this as this is our friend who wants to do something and. As much as a as a birthday present as anything else, we just sort of wanted to help him accomplish this. But it was only after I mean, like most things, you know, you kind of stumble onto it and you discover, as you said, the light bulb moment where you say, "Wow, you know, this is an experience for him that was truly impactful and cathartic." And 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 he was really visibly exhausted afterwards. And we sort of said, "Are you okay?" And he and he said, "Yeah." He said, "You know, I've." I've had a fairly prominent public life and I've been interviewed dozens of times in various capacities, but it's never been um, several hours of absolute candor talking about my entire life and doing it in a, in a, in a very private, 
honest and real way. And I've, he said, I don't, I can't remember the last time I've done that, if at all. And to be able to do that is a unique experience. And then when, when, when we, when we saw that and, and, and heard that, it just became clear that this was something that people need to do, but probably haven't had the opportunity to do throughout their lives. So was there any kind of market research at that point? Or you just said, let's shake hands, let's do this. We know we can wrangle up some other... I think it was mostly that we knew we could wrangle people up. And Lou was very confident that we are next to the uh, Santa Monica airport. And it's not going away till 2028. So uh, <laughs> unless you want to wait a really long time to uh, do this interview, we're going to have to deal with some plane noise. Um uh, Lou was just confident that there were people who had led very interesting lives, um, uh, but who weren't public figures to the extent that, you know, they're not movie stars. So, you know, um, who had stories to tell and, you know, uh, uh and my capacity first as a, a television reporter and then as a host at Turner Classic Movies, you know, I mean, I, the two words I, I, I use to describe myself first is broadcaster, which nobody uses anymore and i'm very proud to be a broadcaster um but uh you know now uh, uh, and then the other word i'm about to use i i hesitate because it now makes my eyes roll but you know storyteller right but that, that now has been abused <laughs> um so um uh, there are, these people have stories to tell and 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 to a person the ones that we've done um their stories are really interesting. I mean, I, I, it's not just that we know we're doing something valuable for them. I, I love hearing these these really interesting stories. Um, uh, and it is clearly, you know, we've never not delivered a product that the person has not thought, oh my God, thank God I did this. And And to your point, I mean, we didn't just jump into it as much as we did, you know, feel like there was a, a a gap to be filled in the market. I mean, having done a a little bit of research initially, even when we were preparing for this, it it felt like nobody was doing this. And if they were, it wasn't at this level. And um, really the market consisted of people that went to film school and tried to carve out a career in television, but for one, one reason or another could not. And so they ended up doing weddings, bar mitzvahs, and oral histories. And I and we kind of loved the idea of having a, a quality of product that was delivered by best-in-class directors, story producers, you know, cameramen, hosts, and so forth. So that, that, made, that made it intriguing for us to, well, to deliver that. And, oh, dogs and airplanes. Yeah, dogs, that's the, uh, that's the bad dog. Uh, if anybody's interested in a about a one-and-a-half-year-old Chesapeake Bay Retriever pit bull mix, beautiful eyes, looks adorable, that was the problem. Um, uh, he's yours if the price is right, and that price is I'll give you hundreds of dollars if you, uh, if you take the dog. No, I, I love him, but he is a, he's a, he's a challenge. Well, as we're talking here, the other dog, the dog I had first, the shepherd mix, is this girl named Bob. And she is, uh, you know, she's lying at our feet, quiet, happy, content, you know, like a good dog. Yeah, she's um, like a throw pillow. Yeah, totally. She's, she's the <laughs> best. Piece of furniture. And he's the worst. So uh, forgive me for that. Hey, bunk. Shush. 
<laughs> it's quite all right. It's quite all right. So, okay. So you, yes, you, I don't want to say stumbled, but you found your way into something that you found was quite interesting, great business opportunity, um, and something also I, I would imagine creatively fulfilling. You're saying that all these stories are interesting, but you're also dealing with very high net worth individuals. Did the thought ever cross your mind of like, is there a way to do this for maybe people at a slightly lower tier? Or is that just, does that kind of, if you're not Tiffany, if you're not Patina, that's not really kind of what you're doing? Uh, you know, one of the things that we set about to do initially was to create a terrific product, a best-in-class product. And once we established that and we, because no one was really doing it at this level, so we began to look at it and say, okay, what's our process? And let's try to figure out how to make this widget, as make it the best it can be. And then after that, once we felt comfortable with it, we sort of said, okay, well, how efficient can we be in that? And, and how can we deliver that to as many people as possible? And so we then took another phase where we said, okay, we can, we can streamline this process, you know, eliminate this process, just like you would with any series, you know, and try to figure out how to make, how to make the show, you know, uh, great, but for less. And sort of like when the network says, oh, by the way, um, for season two, it's, you know, it's, it's actually not this, it's going to be, you know, 65% of what it was. And then you've got to set about to try to figure out how you deliver that product and, you know, so I'm sure you've never reduced budgets on any series never, in your time never. as a network. I only made the call telling people we're giving you more money. <laughs> right. It's interesting. Right. I never, I never got that call when we worked together. Um, but anyway, your other number. Yeah, that's right. Probably yeah. my other number. Um, but so, so we've tried to make it more accessible to more people and, and figure out ways to deliver the product uh, as cost effectively as we can. And now I'm happy to say that, you know, when you're in that market and you're looking for the film school guy with the tripod, you know, if you're, we're, we're not at his point price-wise, but we are not far away from his point. So it then becomes a, a conversation where we say, well, you know, you can go with this type of a product, or if you want to tack on, you know, an additional 10% to what you're willing to spend or 15%, then you can get this. And, and I think that's been uh, really a wonderful development because it's allowed us to not just get people that are you know, titans of their particular worlds, but also people that have had remarkable lives, but, you know, were, were more inclined to be cost conscious of how they're trying to do it. Because, I mean, ultimately for us, we, we do other stuff, you know, besides this, obviously, this is not our, uh, it's a labor of love, uh, you know, it's our avocation. Um, and so we want to try to make it available to as many people as possible. And I think the, the not to speak for Ben necessarily, but I, I really get a lot out of seeing people appreciate this process to, to really go, not just the people that do it, but their family. I mean, people will come up to us and be so thankful that, that these stories and this information is preserved forever for all these generations. I mean, the gratitude is, is incredible and immeasurable. And so for me, at least, I wanted to try to make that available to as many people as possible because it's, it shouldn't just be for, you know, uh, people that own professional sports franchises or, or those sorts of people. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the, everybody's got these interesting stories to tell. Uh, and, and so making this available to, to, to uh, a broader range of clients has been a priority and we're, we've sort of figured out the, the way to do that. And, and one thing that also has uh, started to happen, which I, I anticipated would happen more, and, and partly it's just getting the word out, is 
uh, having our services uh, retained by children who have hit a degree of success that surpassed their parents, but they know how hard their parents worked to put them in that position. So, you know, kids in their 40s are getting this for their parents' 75th, 80th birthday because their dad worked 60 hours a week or their mom worked 60 hours a week or both sort of busted their asses to put their kids in this position of success and they want their whole they want their incredibly interesting parents story told, even though their parents themselves wouldn't wouldn't do this. And in fact, many sometimes the the issue for the kids is getting their parents, even if they don't have to pay for it, just to say, no, no, your story's interesting. You're not being self-aggrandizing. You're not being selfish. Just uh, and I want it for my kids. I, I'm 45 and my kids are five, and I want them to know. Believe me, when they're 10 or 15, that I want them to know what you guys were about. Right. Listen, mom, listen, dad, this isn't a gift for you. It's actually a that's gift right. for that's me. That's right. It's a gift for me and it's a gift for my kids uh, and their kids, right? You're the, you're the, you know, sometimes you're the family, you're the people who, who came over from Europe or your parents came over, but you're the last ones who can tell this story uh, with authority. You're going to tell our family's story. Stop thinking that we're making a fuss over you. Even, even yeah. though we sort of are. <laughs> but it's universal. We just, uh, the matriarch of our family, 100 years old, just right. passed away. Right. And luckily, my now third grader was able to interview her for a class heritage project. Right. And she delivered, <laughs> as we knew she would. But at her at her service recently, I just realized there were so many more things. And obviously, I'll, yeah. never, I'll never get them. Well, and you know, I remember one of the first times I realized how universal this instinct was to document this information from one's family. As I was by the pool on vacation, I saw an actor and he had, you know, a nice camera and he was sitting next to presumably his father. And I thought initially he was just taking photos of his father. But as I looked a little closer, I saw that his father was talking about how they came to America, what it was like to raise a family, what his hopes and his fears were. And I realized that this actor was actually using the video feature on the camera to record the stories that his father was telling. And I had a chance to talk to him later and said, I couldn't help but notice that you were doing this. And I was just curious as to, to what, what prompted you. And he said, he said, you know, I'm, I'm an actor and it occurs to me that everything that I do is captured forever, and and I get to have that. He said, and the permanence of that medium is something that is that is truly incredible. And but for my father, who's had a, a ten times the life I've had, there's nothing. And I I really need to do. He said, unless I want to put him on the show, you know, I need to document him some way. And and so it occurred to me a that this was an instinct that everyone has, and that we were on the right track trying to document it. But the, but the other part to it was that what we were providing to people was a very user-friendly experience. In other words, wouldn't it be great for you to work with a team that you did two weeks of prep, you shot on one day, and then in 30 days, or however long the post-production period took, you would have a thing that you would always have. In other words, you wouldn't have to worry about taking the thing off your camera and converting it to this, because not everyone has that time or inclination, right? We have so much footage, even if we take home movies, that it's just sitting somewhere. This was a way to to encapsulate and button the process very easily and quickly for people so that at the end, they have 
a 75-minute documentary full of photos and, and, and anecdotal information, like a time capsule in many ways, that's entertaining, that's chaptered, and that you have it on a DVD, you have it on a link, you have it on an iPad, you have it in every consumable way, uh, and, it's, and it's all done, and it's there forever. And so that, that really, that, that whole process intrigued me on those, on those levels. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're making a, you know, 90 to 120 minute documentary on this person, you know, and then, and, you know, I, I feel, you know, we were proud to be able to say, Hey man, this could air on, this could be an HBO documentary, you know? Um, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and that clear and the response again, it's just this initial thought of the difference between shooting it on an iPhone, right. And even having a family member do it. I mean, I know I spoke at the beginning about I wish I'd talked to my dad. I do wish I had recorded my dad. But I also wish someone my dad didn't know had recorded my father. Um, so I could hear, you know, what it was really like for him. How having a, you know, he had me at 42. Uh, how that changed his life, you know. And, and how he thought, he, you know, he already had a son who was 12, Right. You know, and he realized, oh, well, now I'm looking at 18 years now with somebody in the house instead of six. You know what that how that affected him, because, of course, was what I had my daughter at six. It changes things um, uh, to say nothing of the of the professional successes. So, yeah, uh, it uh, again, everybody's got these interesting stories to tell. And it is. And and they're one reason Lou was so tired is this is a draining process right i mean this sort of and, and people are so honest you know one thing i try to do when i interview uh, uh, celebrities is to uh, get them off balance i use the same example every time if they're in a chair like the one you're in right now you know tip it back a little bit right now right i, I want to i want you to be a little uncomfortable to think differently to feel a little off your game because it, when interviewing uh, movie stars um they've answered questions all their lives, they know how to answer them. I want to make them a little off balance, but I do not want that chair to tip over backwards, right? I don't want to humiliate them. Uh, you know, I want them to, the, the idea is for them to get a standing ovation, right? Afterwards, I'm not Mike Wallace. Uh, but I want them to reveal something, whether it's to a television audience or to a live audience that that makes the audience think, wow, I, I feel closer to you know, Ernest Borgnine, right? I feel closer to Mickey Rooney, some of the stars I got to interview before they, they passed away. Um, and, and that's what we try to get here, right? It's in a sense, it's easier here because these people are not used to answering questions about their entire lives. Um, so, uh, uh, it, it, as I say, in some senses, that makes this easier. The flip side is they're not used to being in front of a camera. But given the fact that we have time, you know, you know, a, a full day of a full work day, you know, somewhere between four, six hours, something like that. If, you know, by the time we're 30 minutes in, they find uh, another gear. And I think realize that, that, oh, this is a, this is comfortable. I get to, you know, that's what I hope my skill set is, is that making them feel at ease telling their story. And then one thing we haven't mentioned that's incredibly valuable is that everybody is signing an, uh, an NDA uh, and that what they say is completely private. It's never going to get out. We don't talk about it. Lou, obviously, as a founder, sort of is, is very comfortable uh, uh, having us say that he uh, uh, did this. But I don't, we don't reveal the details of what Lou told us. They're the least scandalous details ever, <laughs> but, we still, but we still don't reveal them. Well, and people do, I mean, even though they're not in, accustomed necessarily to be interviewed in this way, these are successful people and they like to be prepared. And one of the things that I noticed initially was that they, 
assumed that the entire process was going to be chronological and that they were, in some respects, prepared for the yearbook answer because they wanted it to be perfect. And I remember very vividly, Ben was interviewing someone who was a very successful architect. And Ben's first question was along the lines of, and it wasn't something that he had been prepared to answer. The The question was, you're an architect. What buildings are out there that you wish you had built? And the guy froze. And he literally looked at Ben for about 10 seconds and then answered the question. But it set the tone for the rest of it because it was clear that it wasn't going to be an interview in the sense of, here are my prepared remarks. It was a conversation. It was going to be non-sequential. It was going to be about who you were. All the facts were going to be... And the, the wonderful thing about what Ben does is that all the points that we want to try to hit, he he hits, but he doesn't do it in such a preordained pat sequence that people get sort of into an answering machine style of, of, of responses. And I think... That's a way of keeping them honest and keeping them uh, organic. And, you know, look, you know as well as I do that the, you, you strive to get that authenticity, you know, whenever you can. Uh, yeah, I almost never start at the beginning, um, in part because by the time I get to the beginning, I want them to be comfortable and at ease. And I want them to recognize that if they want to say that they're, father was really tough on them and it was hard that that they're in a again a phrase i they're in a safe place to say that and i don't mean that we're going to protect that information we will but just that they're in a conversation where they can share that comfortably they feel they feel at their best right and and if you start at the beginning then you know there might be some hesitancy so i want to start something that might be interesting but and, and you know and and that architect ended up giving a great answer on that which is we which we included but i instantly again want to make people uh i want them not to know what's coming next and the best thing that you can get which happens just about every time is to ask them a question and then to take a couple of beats or 10 seconds uh, to answer it. Um, I just want them to be thoughtful. And that's and that's inevitably uh, uh, what has happened. You made a lot of comparisons about these business leaders and <clears throat> highly accomplished professionals that you interview for your for your show, or for lack of a better term, yeah. show project. And obviously the the acclaimed film directors and movie stars that you interview on on your actual show. But I would imagine and I could be entirely wrong that getting a director to talk about themselves and not this work of art that they've created or getting a business leader to talk about him or herself and not these buildings they created. It's probably somehow related no? Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's, you know, in general, they're much more comfortable talking about their art than they are talking about themselves. Um, you know, we, uh, I just interviewed, uh, uh, as we taped this uh, a week ago today or a week ago yesterday, Bruce Springsteen for, for Turner Classic Movies. And we turned it around for us and in, incredibly quickly. We put it on the air five days later. You know, but I got him to tell this 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 great story. His dad was incredibly tough on him and, you know, wanted him to be a, a lawyer and, and, and wanted him to put away that goddamn guitar, as, as Bruce likes to say. And, uh, and when he won the Oscar for Streets of Philadelphia... And he wrote about it, so I knew he'd tell it. But still, it's different watching people 
tell it. He wins the Oscar for for uh, for Jonathan Demme's movie for the song Streets of Philadelphia, and he uh, and his parent. He wins the Oscar obviously here in Los Angeles. His parents live in Northern California. He goes up to see them uh, afterwards. First of all, he goes to, and he tells the story, and they and I say, you know, what happened when you won the Oscar, and or what happens next after you get nominated? And he goes, you know, boom, lightning struck, you know, and. Uh, and he tells that story a little bit about that night. And then I go, what happens next? And he goes, oh, thinking this is what I wanted to get to. He goes, yeah, I go to the airport and they, they I go through security and they, they make me take it out, you know, because, the you know, the, the scanner beeps and it's an Oscar. And, you know, and uh, I go, yeah, well, then what happens? Right. And so frequently the question that works best is, huh, uh, what happened next? Or really just to get them to expand what they're saying um you know you want your questions in this to be as limited as possible i actually learned a lot about that from dan patrick uh the former espn host who has a radio show now uh, dan patrick howard stern david letterman those are sort of my uh my guideposts for how to conduct a good interview they're all different um but dan's questions are very brief he never wants to tell you what he knows he's not worried about showing off that he's a smart guy in it. Once I stopped worrying about that, I got better at this. So then I just said to Bruce, yeah, and then what happened? And then he's like, oh, so I took it to my, yeah, I get to my dad's house and I took it out and I plopped it down on the kitchen table and he looked at it and he looked at me and he said, well, I'm never going to tell anybody what to do ever again. Um, you know, and given their history, like that's a nice moment, right? That's a nice moment, obviously, for a giant celebrity who's very thoughtful. But those moments happen for a ton of people who had stressful, complicated relationships with their parents. And that's what we want to get. And I don't, you don't get that by starting with, tell me what life was like for you as a boy. Tell me about your parents. Sure. Right. Well, you talk about stress and complications. Traditional television shows are both of those times a thousand, right? You're oh, yeah. dealing with network notes and you're yeah. dealing with you know, standards <clears throat> and legality and this, that, the other. I mean, Andrew, how would you compare the process of working with you know some of the more challenging personalities you put on the air and these giant titans of industry who I'm sure you would imagine would be very particular and difficult, but I'm guessing it's probably a much smoother process. Well, the as you know, it's especially when you deal with um, talent, you know, it's always tricky. You know, you, you put, put it this way. Uh, I have never had to uh, cajole one of our subjects out of their dressing room to come and do an interview with men. I have never had to write a letter of an apology to a subject saying, I'm so sorry about Ben. I promise you he'll do better. So right then, it's light years better than anything that I've had to do in television. Um, I think that people want to be here in front of Ben to tell their story. They're obviously, you know, uh, some of them are paying for it directly, sometimes their families. So they're aware that this is, they are the network in this case. As far as notes go, I mean, it gets interesting. They want it done a certain way. There's always the interesting factor of the second spouse or third spouse because the narrative changes. And one of the things we realized very quickly is we needed to offer the opportunity for a reshoot in case there were things that were left out. And invariably, there are. There was one instance where we had someone interviewed who had been married a couple of times. 
And we presented the first cut, which is a fairly detailed cut that gets provided about three to four weeks in. Got a phone call saying, I showed it to my second wife and she loved it. But apparently there isn't enough in there about our marriage. Is there any way we can? And I, I cut him off and I said, of course, we'll have you come in. So, you know, when, when people come and bring this and share this with their loved ones, you know, and, and obviously that, that's natural to do. A lot of times we'll get the phone call and w- without even hearing what they have to say, I'll say, well, so here's what we offer for reshoots. Here's the possibility. And so note-wise, there's that element of it. But I mean, the, the truth is, and I went back, I alluded to this earlier, you know, we, we make television because we want to entertain people and it does last a long time. But, and, and in some special instances, someone will come up to you and say, you know, like I produced the first few seasons of Power and they, 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 the people will go up if I can say, oh my God, I love that show. Oh my God, that's amazing. But nothing will compare to someone whose life has been forever changed by the fact that their father or their mother showed them a 75-minute piece during the holidays about their life, about all these things that they didn't know about, the humanity of it all. Kids who were in their 20s said, oh my God, I thought my grandfather was a titan. I thought he never made any mistakes and he admits to them here. He's a human being, he's fallible and he, I can relate to him in a way that I never could before. I mean, those types of things, those moments that you get and the impact that you make are, are truly incredible, you know? And, and so that, 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 that alone, you know, is, is, uh, is, is a distinction. Well, I just want that guy who, who went in for the reshoot. We've done a couple of reshoots. He's the only one who then went in for a second reshoot because to give you to, and to suggest the interesting uh, nature of that second wife. Then after this second reshoot where he talked a little about the marriage, then she was like, you don't talk enough about your kids. Oh, yeah. Which are from the first marriage, <laughs> like so. She's like, so we went back in and we talked, uh, and we got more. You know, it's nice. There, that 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 reshoot was thirty minutes, forty five minutes. You know, it's just quick. It was really focused on, on uh, on what on what he wanted and what we needed to add to that. Makes me think of my friend who went in for a vasectomy, and he said, "I've never had anyone come back with their first wife." <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, that we had we had a very well known restaurateur. Uh, who came in and did one, who I had known for many years. And I thought I knew him, but literally two weeks of prep and one day of shooting, I mean, I didn't know the guy at all. I mean, there was, it, so the, the amount of information that, that, that gets provided and the, and the, 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 just the pure honesty that you get uh, is really, it's really incredible, you know? And, and there will be people that, like, that, that, for example, that my wife has known since, you know, she was, you know, 30 and, and they'll come and they'll do an interview. And and in two weeks, I'll know them 10 times better than my wife ever did, because this is a, this is a moment, you know, in someone's life where they have this opportunity to set the record straight, to, to, you know, get something off their chest because it's all done in a completely private and confidential uh, setting. And, And, you know, Ben's not giving himself enough credit. I mean, he is one of the few people out there that can, make people feel comfortable and, and feel like they've known him forever, like they went to college with him or something. You know, it's, they, they open up. And for some reason, um, sorry, I digress here, but I'm just imagining a really great episode of Succession with Logan Roy in the chair with you. Uh, that, but he would be a challenge. Uh, <laughs> first of all, there, it turns out they're all great episodes of Succession. I fought that show for a couple episodes and, and then fully embraced it yeah so but i mean it's a good example of of while that character is such a public figure uh 
obviously there are compelling stories which they have kept private where you imagine a guy like that if he knew that this wasn't going to get out and it would only be shown to people to whom he wanted to show it there would be just great great stories and uh I have never been told at the end of a question to fuck off, um, but I would definitely get that from from Logan Roy slash Brian Cox. Yeah. I mean, the way you talk about this project and, and these interviews, it just makes me question why anyone would ever want to get into a traditional television. You know, if there are other paths, sorry to play on word of your right. you know company name, it just seems so much more gratifying. Uh, I mean, not that what you do to make the bulk of your money isn't gratifying, but I don't know. It just, if you were able to really crack the code here, I mean, this is. Well, and there is, you know, there is uh, the 10,000 hour principle to what we're doing. I think, you know, it took us a long time to figure out how to create this product and do it the best way possible. And that's really just from trial and error. There was no blueprint for, for, for what this was. And, you know, now I think, as we've been doing it for a couple of years, we, we now sort of look to w- ways to make it better and to, to broaden its, its appeal. But, but again, you can't fake the amount of, of, of investment of time and energy um, that we've put into it. I mean, it really, it really is a journey you have to take because, you know, not to get all Malcolm Gladwell on you, but it, but it really is that principle of trying to figure out something that no one has really figured out and then hopefully make it as accessible as possible. And I think the things that we've learned, Ben, you know, in, in doing this now make that possible. But we wouldn't be able to uh, be able to think about, you know, broadening its its reach without having done the, the, the legwork that we've that we've all done, you and I and Brian. Yeah, and we were talking about that uh, before we went on the air here, Noah, like the, the idea that um, – you know, when people give me the compliment of you're so much better at this, and I, for years, bristled at that. Like, hey, man, I when I started at TCM, you know, I've been on the air 10 years. It wasn't like I learned how to be on television at TCM. But then I see some, you know, whether it's just a, an intro to a movie when it's on YouTube, and I look at it, and I think, oh, all right, I got better. And I know I got better at the interviews. I mean, that's so, you know, Gladwell is right. And you just eventually you start figuring, I hope there's a whole, I hope there's another level to go. Well, we always end each episode with advice to your younger self. And I think we've started dancing around that a little bit here. And so I'm going to be Ben to you now, Ben. Imagine if I were interviewing you and you're, I know you don't like to go chronological, but we go back to age 25. What would your advice be for a listener on this podcast who's just starting out, figuring out their career? Your advice to that 25-year-old who probably thought he was really great, but wasn't quite great enough yet? Uh, generically to, to find what you like to do and exhaust all chances to do it. Um, and that, you know, look, let's not kid ourselves. I worry about it with my daughter. Like you, she, she can't be anything, you know, she can't be a, an Olympic softball player unless she's great at softball and you can't make yourself great, right? You can make yourself good and that's valuable. But uh, so find something that you're good at that you care about and, and pursue it with vigor uh, more practically and more narrowly um, uh, two things. First, uh, try to find something where you don't have to uh, be somebody else. And, and that doesn't mean don't be an actor where you literally are someone else, but you know, the best actors uh, 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 share so much of themselves, excuse me, the best actors share so much of themselves um, while becoming the character. Uh, 
So one of the great things that, that this job at PATH has afforded me and at TCM is I don't have to pretend to be uh, anybody else. I, I'm not pretending right now. This is how I sound. This is how I talk. This is how I g- go through life. Um, and then the last thing that has almost been really critically important to my development into a, a competent interviewer and a, I hope a, g- a good host and, and, when I was, and, a, and a good reporter also, uh, and I think I mentioned it before, like you don't need to show off. Like wherever you are, whatever stage you're on, whether it's a literal stage or a figurative stage, like assume you belong there. Don't worry about showing off or how smart you are. Uh, you know, uh, own your worth, um, and that will come across. Don't show off. Just think, I'm here because I belong here. The self doubt does does little good and almost every artist is I, I presume filled with it at one point or another you know we all need feedback you know that's why Andrew did mention that I'm not going to undercut my point but you know he, the when we hear how much these mattered to people when people tell me how rewarding it was to do this I, look I'm a I love hearing that you know I want to hear that uh, that it was a job well done um, whenever you perform anything so I don't want to confuse that with showing with feeling a need to show you belong where you are if you're there you belong there how about you Andrew 25 year old Andrew Uh. were you a lawyer yet yeah pick another business is that your answer I was a lawyer at 20th (laughs) Century Fox Um, then this will tie into uh, one of your other podcasts with some friends of mine, uh, Dom Ladogan and Farnaz. So you're so obsessed at 25 with things going a certain way. And when they don't, you think, oh God, that's it. It's over. I'm done. And the example that I will give is that Years ago, I was producing a television show with the Lohan family, and we had a slot on E. And then we didn't have a slot on E because, unfortunately, Lindsay had hit a tree with her Mercedes on Sunset Boulevard. As a result, we had to postpone our series in that slot. And that I got a phone call from Lisa Berger, the head, then head of E!, and she said, so we're not going to do the show. We're going to do it another time because of Lindsay's situation. You know, her mother can't really focus on this. And I said, oh, okay, so what are you going to do with the slot? And she said, oh, there's this show with uh, the Kardashian family. Mm-hmm. And anyway, they, I mean, you know, the guys at Ryan Seacrest Productions are really high on it. You know, they, they shot some tape. It's cute, you know. So, yeah, I mean, well, we're going to give them a shot. And I think about that moment a lot because I'm sure they were sort of saying, meaning the Kardashians, like, wow, okay, when are we ever going to get on the air? And then all of a sudden, fate deals them a hand and then they never look back. And so you just never know, right? You never you never know where life is going to take you. So, you know, when you think it's it's a setback, it might not be. It might be part of something else, you know, that leads to something great. So so that that's something I wish I would have known back then because it was also life or death. It was just like, oh, my God, that's it. It's, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, Bill Paxton and Aliens, you know, game over. That was always a thing for me. 
we were talking before we started taping about sports and uh, about basketball and, and, and how most sports fans don't appreciate, won't accept the nature of luck. You know, Steph Curry, the best three-point shooter in the league, misses a three in game seven against the Cavaliers. Kyrie Irving, a great player, but not the three-point shooter. Steph is not close. He makes it. So the Cavaliers win and the Warriors lose. You repeat that scenario exactly 10 times, I bet the Warriors win eight of those. But this was one of the two that the Cavaliers won is the one that that happened. Um, uh, Branch Rickey, who signed Jackie Robinson, it's it's my favorite quote of all time. My father taught it to me, uh, said, uh, uh, luck is the residue of design. So this world is full of luck. The, that was luck for the Kardashians that Lindsay Lohan hit a tree. Uh, but they designed it. They were ready for it. They prepared themselves so that when the opportunity, when the luck happened, uh, they weren't caught flat-footed. And, and that is incredibly useful advice that you wait for your moment, but you better prepare to be ready when that luck shows itself. Well, it's a much better quote than Rosebud. <laughs> it, is, it is a better quote. Uh, yeah, I have the Mankiewiczes have two lines in the top uh, 100 greatest lines uh, from AFI. Uh, one of them is, they may have more, um, but uh, I know that we may have uh, Fasten Your Seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy night, which Joe at least wrote, my Uncle Joe. But the top two there are, uh, I today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth from Pride of the Yankees, which, yeah, so Herman wrote that, but he didn't say the line the line he just took the line that garrick said and put it in the movie it doesn't quite you know it's not that glorious and the other one herman has i get uh, so two hermans too and then the other one is rosebud it's one word (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, well i hope to never have to look back on my life with any rosebud and i'm sure that you know uh subjects of your interviews don't as well or their families and you're doing great service to them i hope that this inspires some people to maybe see that the traditional path is not always the perfect path and that we can do multiple different kinds of things. And I just really thank you both for your time. Thank oh, you, Noah. Thank you for coming in and doing this. You got it. And thank you to the dogs. Both <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So there you have it. The true story of Path Content Group. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you as well to our guests, Andrew Jameson and Ben Mankiewicz, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. <laughs>